0: And you're listening.
1: And you're listening. You're
0: listening, you're listening to Salmon. Salmon.
2: Salmon. 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 To Salmon Fest Radio.
0: Welcome to another episode of Salmon Fest Radio. I'm Dave Aplin.
3: And I'm Satchel Pondolfino.
0: Satchel, what, what what's the goal? What, what are we trying to achieve with Salmon Fest Radio?
3: With Salmon Fest Radio, we're really trying to package the spirit of Salmon Fest together. And help people feel that feeling of connectedness and excitement via live music and really connection to our salmon landscape. Alaska is a salmon state. We want to make sure people feel that that's something we can celebrate always. So we hope in these future Salmon Fest radio episodes we can create that feeling by sharing some of the backstage interviews that we generated at Salmon Fest 2019 with bands and artists and the music that was captured on stage as well as really highlighting the voices of people who are working to protect salmon to research salmon and who live salmon every day by fishing them so
0: we're packaging the spirit of salmon fest in a form that people can take with them wherever they go to stay attuned to the music that's created there the feeling that's generated also that information that we need to help make good decisions about our salmon futures right especially from the people that are living living salmon the rural communities the researchers people that are involved in commercial fishing and sport fishing and all those other aspects there's so many voices around salmon and this is a forum for that conversation
3: absolutely we're really excited to share it with you
4: Well,
5: this is Salmon Fest and you are in Ninilchik, but we are here on lands that have been around a long time with a lot of people. Andrea Skoloff, come on up uh, through the stage here. Folks, remember where we are. Let's acknowledge where we are. Thank you, Andrea.
2: Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Salmon Fest 2019. So as we continue to celebrate this weekend's festivities gathered in this beautiful place, that has and will always be home to the Alaskan native people of the Cook Inlet region, I ask that we honor the history and the future prosperity of this community by acknowledging this Dena'ina land. This community raised me, educated me, and shared its culture and stories with me. There's a shared recollection of Ninilchik's natural history that was always communicated to me growing up. It was described that you could once walk across the rivers on the backs of King Salmon. I grew up with the respect and understanding that these waters and the fish are the heart and the soul of this village. And my relationship to this place is tethered directly to that memory and that attitude and that belief. That emotion is a resource that because of people who came before us, we are able to tap into now. We have an opportunity to pay tribute to this land that has provided and to welcome others and share our stories. We still walk on the backs of those memories and those shared experiences, much like the ones we share here today at Salmon Fest. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be part of these celebrations and pay my tribute. Thank you all for coming together and participating in something so wonderful and so positive. And thank you to the Danina people for welcoming us here today. <laughs> thank you.
6: showed up to the festival and fell out of the back of the van we were just in time to see our favorite band all the people out there looked just like us if they were young you know they looked just like us remember that beat remember that song it never felt so good to sing along i was wondering why it felt so good Then I looked into a dozen pairs of eyes And I understood That
2: when we all
6: come together It feels like the world is gonna be alright Well in the middle of the night by the fireside You played my favorite song We share a smoke and we beat the drum Fool me baby won't you ride me high I you dancing to the new moonlight From Nibia Chick to Yaska's Farm We'll wake up in each other's arms I was wondering why it felt so good Then I looked into a hundred pairs of eyes And I understood When we all come together It feels like the world is gonna be alright Na 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 na. Na 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 na. Na 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 na. When we left the festival, we were crying in the back of the van. Well it could have been the drugs, it should have been your band. When it could've been the hugs, it should've been the old man To want the people out there Travel safe and take good care And when someone falls, won't you pick them up? Take care of those overfilled overfill their cup And get nice and dirty See that no one's hurting Don't wear too many clothes Get some sunshine on your soul Don't be a glass hole. And watch those ashes And pick up your trashes And in the long, long lives Look into each other's eyes Spread that love all around the world Yeah, we'll see you next year at the festival That's right If you're wondering why It feels so good Just look into a thousand pairs of eyes And you'll understand When we all come together When we all come together Come on we all come together. It feels like the world is going to be all right. It's 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 going right. to be all right.
7: Yes, it's definitely going to be a beautiful day today <laughs> here at Salmon Fest. How effing lucky are we?
1: Could you start by telling us your name and where
7: you're from? My name is Tim Easton, and I, I, I'm from all over, um, but I, was, I grew up in upstate New York, and then Ohio, and then Japan as a kid, now I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, I've been to the fair town of Homer um, many, many times. I've caught all manner of fish out there and drank all manner of beers in that town played characters every monday after salmon fest for seven years in a row and this year we're breaking that tradition um i love you future but it was time to move on down to bunnell street gallery for a tuesday post salmon fest thing anyways how you guys doing today
1: (laughs) i think that we're doing pretty well over here cool um so you said that you've come down there and fished
7: a lot i have um my first show there was quite a few years ago and then you know it's it's just a the part about coming to Alaska is you get to meet more friends with more boats and more gear and then next thing you know you're with Anders out and on the uh, on the Coctouli and Mulchatna rivers out in the Alaska Peninsula fishing the very rivers that pebble mine um, would damage if it were to be you know to be put into place so I was really lucky to fish that river with my dad catch big king salmon and actually experience the, the places that would be affected by, you know, corporate greed and stuff like that. So I'm just glad that we're here together just to talk about it and hang out about it because, uh, every little bit helps every little person working on it and stuff, you know?
1: So do you live in Alaska?
7: No, I, um, I've been called an honorary Alaskan because I'm here every year, um, couple times a year. What
1: uh, draws you to Alaska?
7: Um, I think, you know, yeah. <laughs> I think <you're> <laughs> It's, uh, it's more than just the legal weed, I'll tell you that. It's, it's, it's the legal free people. I don't even, yeah, see, I don't even smoke weed or drink anymore, it's just, but I think that, it's, you know, I just love the people here. And I, I love, the, the, the thing about nature is, is that's part of my spiritual life, you know, is, is nature, it's a part of it, and being in touch with it helps ward off uh, the depression and the harder times that we all experience as human beings and i think being around the strong people that um, that take care of business you know it's just really important for me and i i found that out a long time ago and i've been coming back ever since and i would live here if i could i have an eight-year-old daughter in tennessee and um, so you know i bring i brought her here and i'll bring her back And i just love it here thank you radical alaskans for taking care of me o- over these years
1: um. So you said you had an eight-year-old daughter. Yes. How do you share your connection that you feel to the land with
7: your daughter? Fishing, I and I send I send salmon home to her. She loves salmon, so it's a big deal. She's been to Salmon Fest herself. She was two years old, and then I think uh, again when she was four or something like that. So, you know, it's it's about time she'll be coming back here and, and playing playing the drums with me on stage. Um, you know, she doesn't have to be a songwriter, a musician. She could be a lawyer or a fisher, fisherwoman too. Um, but I, you know, that's fishing is a big part of, of uh, really the shared thing between parents and children. Um, that experience of being, being in nature and having a river f- flow over your your feet and going with the flow of a river is, is just everything to me. So I I try to connect with nature and her when I when I can.
1: can you- Tell us about
7: an experience that you had fishing that stands out to you. Oh, boy. Um, so many. I think it's uh, about fishing the, the Mulchatna River and having, like, a shore lunch. Those experiences of, uh, of uh, freshly caught fish. And then any time I was fishing with my dad and uh, and and the guides would be like, you know, just... My dad's 93 years old, so to be in Alaska and fish with him is really... Um, such a joy we've, we fished all over this state and, uh, and, um, I think just family fishing and hanging out really, there's, there there are so many, I mean, we all fish here. It's like, how could you, you pin it down? Um, maybe when I was, you know, uh, a little bit younger that I I would think about that big fish. Okay. You're right. There is that one fish that got away. Of course, there was a trout in the Kenai river that haunts my still haunts me. Like it was so big. I thought it was a tire. And I was like, I was like, obviously this is a rock. I'm stuck on a rock. And, then, and I was like, wait, no, it's it's moving. And then when I finally saw it, like a half an hour later, it was just un. Unri- it was just ridiculous how girthy this trout was. You know, caught on a little salmon egg. And uh, I was just kind of stunned and shocked. And and then then when the net guy came over, it spooked and like snapped the line and 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 um, swam away and. And then I was—I've been uh, haunted ever since about like trying to come, you know, catch that fish again. So there's—there you go. Did I narrow it down to like seven different stories? So
4: that's a good
1: question. Um, so you touched a little bit already on pebble mine. And I see you have a pebble.
7: I do have a no pebble mine um, thing on, and I'm—I'm I'm very familiar with uh, with the uh, workings of it because of hanging out with Anders Gustafsson from Homer, who helped kind of start. Um, salmon stock with Jim Stearns back in the day. So I I sing about social activist issues and about personal issues and and just about wild times of a traveler and, and gypsy troubadour that I am so a little bit of everything but activism comes into play when it comes to rivers because I believe that that you know the water is really that's that's the commodity that we're all taking for granted and uh, it's just super important that we all get together like every drop of water at the top of a mountain that forms a stream and then forms a river and then goes into the ocean. Like each person is that, you know, that little bit of help to help rem- you know, remind people that actually, yeah, this is, we need clean rivers. You know, I, I live in the Midwest. I'm near Akron, Ohio where I'm sorry, I'm from the Midwest, where, where, um, where we have a river called the Cuyahoga, which, you know, caught on fire infamously. Now, that is not going to happen here anytime soon, but it is what humans will do with greed and destruction. Eventually, they will take away the very things that, that help, you know, give, uh, give birth to these fish and, and where, they, where they come and return every year. But this is it 70% of the world's salmon comes from Bristol Bay? Basically, 50 percent from Bristol Bay. I do know this: there are three hundred and fifty thousand miles of riverway in in, uh, in the state of Alaska, and uh, every one of those every one of those rivers started with a trickle, like just a drop or two. So, anybody who's hearing this and um, still listening, you know, please do your thing to participate. Write a letter, send the email, make the phone call, and uh, so that our our children and our children's children can you know have um have uh clean water and, and fresh fish
2: you have a song about Cuba couple
7: i do i do and i'm gonna i'm gonna um bring it back tomorrow it's like uh it's a it's a very like um, anthemic you know uh, kind of a song that you'd sing at a protest and um it it basically just is a really quick song that that uh that states you know pebble mine has got to go and and that greed is not gonna is not gonna win and and and, and um, I'll, I'll be singing that um, at uh, Salmon Fest and uh, all throughout my tour of Alaska um, every tour for eternity until that thing is not happening you know which is just a lot of work to do that because money money talks you know as we know what is up with your governor going out with
3: that will you Question. write a victory song when Pebble
7: Mind is I will write a victory song. I will, I will, yeah. Pebble Mind has got to go.
1: So it sounds like incorporating activism into your music
7: is a pretty important part of your process. Yeah, I didn't set out to do that, but it's like my teachers, that's the way it, you know. I was listening to the Beatles just like anybody, you know, and there's there's some activism in there, you know some serious activism in, 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 John's songs and even Paul's songs and George too, really. I mean, it's like, um, so that thing, and then, you know, Woody Guthrie, who's the other pin I'm wearing is Woody Guthrie, um, right here. Um, and, uh, Woody Guthrie and his family and getting to know his family. And really, man, it's like, there's a Woody quote that says left wing, right wing, chicken wing. It's all the same to me. And I think there's just really, it's like, what side are you on? Like, uh, are you on the side of clean water? And, and fit in fresh fish and not farm fish, or you know that's a very basic group to uh, want to belong to. And if you don't want to be part of that, you know we have to discuss it. That's all. And I think we can discuss it. I don't see why we're not able to discuss that stuff with each other. All, all these things, you know, there's so many so many levels of um, of uh, activism and things that people believe in, and and it usually just comes down to. Uh, your, your respect for fellow human beings and for for Mother Nature. Brad, well
1: thanks for coming and talking to us on this beautiful day. Thanks
7: for talking with me. I really appreciate the invite and thanks for doing all the work that you guys do and um, just to uh, keep it going because it does take a, quite a village of people so it's a worldwide gig
6: so thank you so much. Pebble mine has got to go. Pebble mine, no 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 Pebble Mine has got to go away love to you
7: i'll
0: see you soon you know satchel i've been associated with salmon fest since its inception a decade ago and i can't remember a year when tim easton hasn't been spotted wandering the salmon fest ground and just conveying that amazing positive energy that he brings everywhere he goes
3: Yeah, I love that about Tim Easton. He's truly an honorary Alaskan. You can catch him romping all over the state. I personally love catching him at the Seaview over in Hope, Alaska, but I know he's got a following in many a small Alaskan town, and... good reason. He really brings his heart everywhere he goes. And he gets to know the community. That's what's so great about Tim Easton. He has songs about Pebble Mine because he's spent enough time here to really understand what Alaskans care about and why they care about it and has come to care about it himself. And it's really just refreshing and like heartening to hear a performer who's going around to so many audiences across the world, like actually have some true, real connection with the people that he's performing with and to.
0: Tim reminds me that Bristol Bay isn't just an Alaskan issue and that there are thousands and thousands of people across the U.S. and around the world that care about our sustainable systems and fish and clean water.
3: Dave, that's something that I really think is so valuable about a gathering like Salmon Fest is it elevates this salmon culture to not just Alaskans, but people all over the world. And this year, especially with Salmon Fest streaming for Bristol Bay, we were able to reach so many more people than we normally would, which was really exciting. And Tim Easton definitely helped us spread that message like he always does. He was the first artist to submit music for Salmon Fest streaming for Bristol Bay. And I remember when I clicked on the link he sent in my office I was just like filled with so much joy and connection for our Salmon community because I don't know he just like translates it into songs so well even though he's singing about like a festival experience it brought me right to Salmon Fest right around the people that I have made my community that overlap between music and caring for what we love is just so special and Tim Easton really embodies that
0: you know Satchel that groundswell Tim talks about about people coming together around a cause. We've seen it happen around Bristol Bay and the Pebble Mine for a decade and a half, and we got great news just before Thanksgiving when the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers denied Pebble's Clean Water Act permit.
3: Yeah, this was a huge victory for the fishermen and tribes of Bristol Bay, but we need to remember to stay vigilant because... A lot of people in the pebble organizing community refer to this mine as the zombie mine more than once it's come back from the dead. So there's a lot of work ahead of us, and I think there'll be people who continue to fight for the region until Bristol Bay is permanently protected. If you want to be one of those people, you can visit InletKeeper.org SalmonFest for more action opportunities to protect Bristol Bay. All right, well, we're about to hear some more from Tim Easton. Unfortunately, we didn't catch great audio quality of him at Salmon Fest last year, but luckily he's in Alaska so much we have ample performances of him here, and we're going to share a couple songs he performed here at Benel Street Art Gallery that was recorded by our local public radio station, KBBI.
6: Of my time and behind the times at the same time, all time doesn't give a damn about me. In these times, we don't all have to walk the same line, except when looking each other in the eye. Nobody wants to wake up angry. Nobody wants to go to bed insane Nobody really wants you to suffer Nobody wants anybody to be in pain For whatever you truly want for another You may have yourself someday Vengeance lies and bad math all time, we tell on you. And your greedy, greedy friends telling the same lies again and again, all time, we have its way with all of you. Nobody wants to wait. Suffer. Nobody wants anybody to be in pain. For whatever you truly want for another, you may have yourself someday. Not just today, not just tonight, and not yesterday, not just tomorrow. I want you to have the same peace of mind that I wish for myself. I want you to have the same peace of mind that I wish for myself. I want you to have the same peace of mind that I wish for myself. I want you to have the same peace of mind. Want you to have the same peace of mind that I wish for myself. Want you to have the same peace of mind that I wish for myself. Thank you, homie. If we got time, I would love to sing another
7: one for my daughter.
6: This whole damn thing Started long ago I didn't just wake up One day and fly My mother and my father Sent me on that out on- Like the trucks out on the highway, like the seasons and the day, like the river that passes through your town, I really must be on my way. Like all the trucks out on the the seasons and the days
3: pivot to another important role in our salmon movement the scientists
0: yay science
3: <laughs> so we're gonna go into our salmon champion segment right now and feature someone that i know well sue mauger she's the executive director and science director at cook and Lake keeper
0: sue has been collecting stream temperature data for almost two decades
3: mm-hmm. we're swapping out temperature loggers that have kept track of our winter salmon stream temperatures and we're preparing new temperature loggers for the summer season. So we're going to take you to a sunny June day on the banks of the Ninilchuk River just across the street from where the magic happens at Salmon Fest on the Kenai Peninsula fairgrounds.
0: You know this is a terrific interview with Sue Mauger but it was a little breezy that day, so there's some uh, sections of this audio that's a little harder to listen to, but stick with it because the content is great. All right,
8: here we go, year 18, the Milchick. So we have loggers, we've had them here since. 2002, Mm -hmm. and we leave them in all year round. We come and swap them out, and then we leave them in over the winter, and then hope for the best, that they didn't get wiped out with ice. Ultimately, we're just wanting year-round water temperature data. Yeah, we try to swap them out before June, make sure we're catching the, the warmest part of the summer. We have them in about 16 different rivers, all the way up into the Matsu Basin. The Anchor River is the first river that I put a temperature logger in back in 2002. And it was really just out of curiosity. Um, I had been measuring water quality in the river and had noticed that when I went for a visit in July that the temperatures of my little handheld thermometer were higher than I thought they should be for Alaska salmon streams. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of surprised. And so I decided I'd, just out of curiosity, put some more loggers in the next year and see if it was just the Anchor River that was really warm, or if all of them were. And that has really blossomed to uh, asking that question for all of Cook Inlet and doing it in about 50 different rivers. Um, And there we saw that the Anchor River is kind of middle of the road. It's not the warmest stream at all, that there are other streams that are much warmer. And we've been doing this work and kind of setting out the protocols for doing this work and then shared it to other regions in Alaska. So now there's a Bristol Bay temperature network, a Kodiak network, and Southeast network. And so we're collecting data all over the state. And it's helping us really understand how much it varies from region to region and summer to summer. And of course, last year in 2019, we saw the highest temperatures we've ever recorded in the state, and that was um, 81.7 degrees up on the Deshka River. And there may be other streams that are just as warm, it's just we only have temperature loggers in so many places.
0: 81 degrees satchel, that's like bathwater. I want to get in that water. That sounds great.
3: Yeah, that does sound great. And I definitely lament the days that I could spend all day swimming in rivers in Oregon. But as Sue will explain, 81 degrees is not great for salmon. And I would never trade river days for Alaskan salmon.
8: 55 is where they start to be stressed and they'll, they'll start to avoid that temperature and try to find other little pockets of shadier water or deeper water where it might be a little cooler. Once you start to get above 68 degrees, Mm -hmm. then you really see salmon stopping their migration. They will hold maybe until the the very coolest part of night and move it upstream at night and not during the day at all. Mm -hmm. By the time you're getting into the 70s, the juvenile salmon are really stressed and they're gonna be kind of hiding out in the the edges, trying to stay out of the, the really warm um, and, and full sunlight areas. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there is some variation in the river, but uh, in some systems, not as much as you might think. Like, they are all uniformly warm. So we've been trying to figure out where like specific cold spots are. Um, and that's that's kind of the exciting work that we're doing now is actually mapping on a fish, fish level scale
3: how, um, what the temperatures are and how they vary. We lost some really good audio to the wind. But what she's really excited about is mapping these cold water spots in the river. And what that means is that she is creating a map of where salmon habitat is best in our warming streams. So we have these spaces where groundwater infiltrates our salmon streams and creates cold pockets. And the salmon can, they can basically take refuge in those cold pockets until it's cool enough to continue upstream.
0: Or like stepping stones.
3: Yeah, exactly. They just literally, like, stay in one spot of safety until they can jump to the next spot.
0: It's cool to have data coming in from an entire watershed that's understanding what it's like for individual salmon to experience the rivers and stream as they make their way home.
8: uh, Jump in the river now. Okay. Success. Both loggers are still
0: here. They survived the winter. Yay. Satchel, I didn't get to go with you that day. Can you tell me and the folks listening, what do those loggers look like?
3: Yeah, so they are these long, skinny, black cylindrical tubes, and they've got holes in them. So when Sue pulls them out of the water, it's like a sprinkler from all angles coming out of them. And that's what holds the temperature loggers. I didn't actually get to see the loggers themselves, but Sue really likes these loggers because they are both cheap and accurate, which she says is really important for any citizen-based science project and she also pointed out that the loggers themselves provide habitat to a certain type of larva that salmon enjoy eating
8: so i've got 12.5 degrees celsius so that's great that is about 53 degrees fahrenheit so still nice and cool and we should be we're just on the front end of the king salmon run so there's probably fish moving upstream, migrating up to places where they can spawn. One of the things I think about a lot is that I've been doing this monitoring for, 18 plus years and I'm glad to have the data so we understand how things are changing. But I also don't want to spend my career monitoring the loss of good habitat and I think about that a lot and I think that there's a lot of scientists who feel that way, that we're committed to getting the data to inform the decision-making, but it's also not that satisfying to just have charts of how you lost the salmon. So it feels really important to me to commit to talking to people and decision-makers about this information. Otherwise, you know, a bunch of journal articles at the end of your career isn't really, for me, wouldn't be a satisfying ending. Our streams are changing quickly and based on what we saw last summer we're seeing these systems warm faster than we expected them to like 50 years in the future we expected the streams to be as warm as they were last summer so the change is happening way faster than we expected and that's something that a lot of people who have used the climate models that we use to sort of project toward we're all finding that that those climate models it's it's uh the, the joy of ecology is it's all really connected and complex, but it also makes it really hard to model it. Melting permafrost and what that means and how that, you know, adds more um, carbon and methane into the air, and we haven't modeled all of that stuff super well. And so our climate models are um, they're a little optimistic. And uh, last summer, our most pessimistic models, we were we were at you know what we thought we'd see in 2060.
3: Yeah. So I just want to pause right here for a second, Dave, and reiterate what Sue just said in case you weren't following. So Sue's climate models that use the data she's gathering and then project into the future what temperatures we might be seeing in our salmon streams showed that the temperatures that she recorded in 2019 shouldn't have happened for 50 years in the future from now. So
0: Satchel, what's Sue's prognosis? Uh, what, what's the future look like and what should we be doing?
3: Yeah, that's a really big question, Dave, that thankfully a lot of people think about on a regular basis, including Sue, and she has some really good ideas that she's about to share with us now.
8: So on the like the river scale and thinking about what we can do to make these, these streams be healthy for as long as possible, um, the best thing we can do is to keep our riparian, our streamside vegetation intact and to create shade and to help create complexity within the river channel that the fish can utilize in different years. So yeah, if, if we could do only one thing for these rivers, it would be to stay back, to keep our structures away from the river so they can the rivers can still move, that we can have vegetation shading the river. Um, that would be the best thing we can do. For the bigger question, I think, we can't, we will never have all of the data that we need. We, ha- we have enough to know. It's changing fast. And we have the data to understand what a lot of those impacts are. And so it's really just a matter of moving the science into action and, and using the information and being thoughtful and creative and forward-thinking um, in what we do with all of that, that great data.
3: I think it's important to remember that this is the most in-touch understanding of our river systems that we have, and it's really important that we honor this process. It's scientific research is is not a flippant thing. It's very thorough and double-checked and... Um,
0: peer-reviewed.
3: Peer-reviewed. Yeah. And often occurs over a long period of time, so we understand the trends over time, and that's what Sue's been able to do for our our non-glacial salmon stream temperature system understanding here in Alaska, and it's really important that we honor that work and uplift it and hold it to our highest standard of truth and keep it in mind as we are making our policy decisions and as we're making our day-to-day life decisions. So this
8: river's changed a lot. you know it's one of the best parts of all the field work is you get to go back to these places throughout the year and over many years and see how much they change and it's a great reminder that even in streams that have bridges over them and people living along them the river still moves a fair bit and so it doesn't look like it it did the first time I came out here years ago it's, uh, and that's good that means that the river still has room to move and rivers like to move so. I've had um, uh, Wasilla Creek is a creek um, up in the Mat-Su that when I first went to this one spot to put a temperature logger it was just this uh, dirt road and there were no houses around at all. It's a nice cold stream and now uh, it's only ten years later and the whole place is a big subdivision and um, lawns cut right down to the creek and a lot of garbage in the creek, and it's really changed quite a bit. Um, it's still a cool stream, because it's, its headwaters are up pretty high, and so it drains a lot of snowpack and in late into the season, so it's, it's somewhat buffered, but it's been amazing in 10 years how much it's changed. And then there are other places I go that it feels like time has stopped. And it looks exactly like it's always looked. It smells like it's always smelt. It's just, yeah, it's very uh, grounding to be in a place that doesn't change. So we often do see mergansers. That's a pretty common um, river bird. And we've seen wood ducks farther down as well. And then dippers are other, another river bird. And yellow legs. So it's kind of fun to not just be looking under the water
3: (laughs) and does like you spotting specific birds tell you anything about the health of the stream or river you know that's a great
8: question so to me what that means is that there's things for the birds to eat and that means that they're probably they're eating the invertebrates that i mentioned the insects and that means that those insects are also available for the fish, so it's all a good sign. The more, the more life begets more life, right? So, <laughs> so I, I was, I'm glad to see birds. That means it's, um, it's healthy enough for, for all.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: If we're careful, we'll learn from the mistakes that were made in Europe with the Atlantic salmon and on the east coast of the United States. And all along from California all the way up to Washington, those fisheries are all gone, or in the case of uh, the northwest part of the United States, they're in trouble. And here we have functioning systems where all we have to do is care for them as opposed to rebuild them or restore Mm -hmm. them. I mean, we're still in a pretty good spot.
3: And we're not shooting in the dark. We can learn from what happened in those places, and we can make sure that we're not following in their footsteps. And I, I think that... The things that Sue is saying, protecting riparian zones and not developing right up onto the river, like, those were practices that weren't maintained or weren't prioritized in those other places. And over time, death by a thousand cuts. like, they did lose their viable salmon habitat. And we're seeing it happen here in select places, and our choices and the way we carry out our daily lives in our homes and in our natural environments does contribute to the overall ability of those systems to remain intact.
8: There's kind of two levels of decision makers. There's the they're the Alaskans who use the rivers, they fish, they are outside, they think about what the summer is like versus what it was like last summer, and so they have a role in terms of like how they develop their land, and you know, do they cut right down to the river, and, and so there's that level of personal connection and decision making and then there's the decision makers who are deciding whether the fish runs are going to be impacted by warmer stream temperatures and I think that after last summer particularly there are some folks who maybe weren't super persuaded in the past that there was anything to be concerned about I think when we saw so many dead fish all around the state that people uh, I think are taking it a little bit more seriously But I do think there's a little bit of um, inertia in if you you think about things, if it's climate change, if the reason these rivers are changing is because it's climate change and that is a global problem, what do you expect a city or a borough or a state to even do? And I, I do really feel like It's important to reflect on how we've responded to the pandemic. It was a global problem and we all took action. And we took that action to protect ourselves and others. And I feel like that's really the same kind of mentality we need to be bringing to the climate change crisis. if if it's us and future generations, you know, whoever the others are, I think we've been, in the pandemic, we've been thinking about the health of our neighbors and our elders. Well, what about the the future of our children and grandchildren? I think it's just as compelling. And so I hope that for some people they're seeing the global crisis can be dealt with at a really local scale. We'll see. Uh, But I feel like There's, um, things can change very quickly for the good or the bad. Things changed really quickly in March for what feels like the bad, but we can also change and make cultural decisions about our path forward just as quickly for the good.
0: That was terrific to be able to travel back in time to a warm summer day on the Minilchik River And to collect that interview with Sue.
3: It's really cool to see Sue in her element. She's always just so lit up whenever she's actively turning that curiosity into science. Let's go back across the street to Salmon Fest and plug back into our 2019 live acts. We're going into our Jammin' for Salmon segment. We're going to kick it off with some Andrew Duhan and follow it up with the lovely T-Sisters.
5: Well, I'll play a song I wrote called It's Gonna Take a Little Rain. Not today, though. Preferably not Monday either, because I'm going fishing on Monday, alright? One, two, one, two, three, four. Well, I met last September. These days I call her mine. She's my summer windswept Juliet, my autumn valentine You yeah, we sit out on a Sunday To enjoy the sweet sunshine Oh, she says, babe, how I wish it could be like this all the time It's gonna take a little rain Let the grass beneath us grow It's gonna take a little rain Oh. Start no All I can help but say Is good Lord Why does it always have To be this way It's gonna take A little rain to Let the grass Beneath us grow It's gonna take a little rain Before the flowers start to show Show sure, it all Things that we don't know Trust that on the way to beautiful It's gonna take a little rain the dark storms will come To bring in dark days Rivers will rise What they want they will take But that storm will pass And you will remain Save the tears in your eyes, love, if that's who the rain is. The dark storms will come to bring you dark days. The rivers will rise where they want, they will take But that storm will pass, and you will remain. Save the tears in your eyes, love, that's who the rain is.
0: the sun is setting and it's time for us to go. Let's finish up with a last song from our pals, The Burrows.
5: how to sing out of tune would you stand up and walk out on
0: that's about it for this episode but before we run off we need to thank the many people that helped make this happen including pastor tim and brian belay for the recorded music from salmon fest
3: Yep. we want to thank salmon fest team for creating the festival that made this whole show possible
0: and cook inlet keeper we can't forget cook inlet keeper for uh, helping host this show and providing the resources that make us groovy
3: and we've got to thank our features today so we had tim easton uh, we had kyla Damon, who is conducting that interview backstage thanks kyla
0: and of course our producer and editor kira hardy
3: thank you banel street art gallery for giving us the reins to play some of tim easton's show and always thanks to our beloved local public radio station kbbi for the technical and Emotional support <laughs> of getting. Yeah, us moral this.
0: support. Right, that's right. That's where the sound meets the sea, where the commotion meets the ocean. I just invented that.
7: Hey, everybody! This is Tim Easton, and you're listening to Salmon Fest Radio.